Chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, which we've been studying, is Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. It wasn't just one church, um, as was the church in Philippi and Ephesus. This is, there were several churches in Galatia. And Paul wrote to defend the gospel, and he wrote to defend, in a sense, his own apostleship, because the Jewish believers were putting burdens on the Gentile believers saying that faith wasn't good enough, you needed faith, but you also needed to be circumcised, you needed to basically become Jewish and follow the Jewish traditions, and um, they were putting them under that burden and telling them they had to follow the law to be truly saved. Now, in chapter 2, he continued his defense, and he gives evidence of the true gospel, not another gospel, because there is no other gospel, um, but one that was being perverted. Uh, because the gospel that he shared with them when they first got saved, they received the Holy Spirit, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then these Judaizers were coming along saying it wasn't enough, you needed to do more. They were saying Paul wasn't teaching full fully, and so they were undermining his apostleship as well as the gospel. And so he wanted them to know um, that the gospel had eventually had been debated and discussed, and it was decided upon by the pillars of the early church that salvation was through grace, through faith alone. It was not through faith and works. And he explained to them how his apostleship was known by the other pillars in the church and had been accepted by the apostles. Now, we're not sure how many times Paul had gone to Jerusalem or the exact dates. Uh, we're not even sure when P Peter was rebuked by Paul in Antioch about Peter's hypocrisy. Um, but this whole issue of being circumcised and becoming Jewish had become an issue not just in the region of Galatia, but all over, evidently. Um, and we know Paul first went to Jerusalem to share with a few of the apostles what the Lord had given him directly. And so he was telling them, look, I am sharing this gospel from grace. This is what the Lord had given me. Um, and that you can read about in Acts chapter 9. And then eventually Paul and Barnabas were sent out to preach, and they had uh, been greeted with mixed reception. Some had received them and were relieved to know that they didn't have to be circumcised, they didn't have to follow the Jewish laws, and others were very put off. They were very insulted, and they didn't like what they were hearing, so it had caused a lot of conflict. And then by Acts 15, the Jew Jerusalem Council did take place to settle the issue once and for all that this, uh, so it could maybe hopefully put an end to the strife and confusion that was going on in many of the churches. So now we come to chapter 3. Paul sets a defense of salvation through faith not by obeying the works of the law, not by being circumcised and following Jewish tradition. And I just thought um, the New Living Translation was a good, good one to read. It kind of simplifies things. Um, I normally don't study with it, but I wanted to read um, this chapter uh, to you. And Paul starts, Oh, foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? 
For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not, for the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You have suffered so much for the good news. Surely it was not in vain, was it? Are you now going to just throw it all away? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, so God declared him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are all those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles, too, on the basis of their faith. God promised this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. And so it is, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all these commands that are written in God's book of the law. Consequently, it is clear that no one can ever be right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. How different from this way of faith is the way of the law, which says, if you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all of its commands. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through the work of Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, and we Christians receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend the irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that it didn't say the promise was to his children, as if it meant many descendants. But the promise was to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received only by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. Well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. But this system of law was to last only until the coming of the child to whom God's promise was made. And there is this further difference. God gave his laws to angels to give to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is needed if two people enter into an agreement, but God acted on his own when he made his promise to Abraham. Well, then, is there a conflict between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could have given us new life, we could have been made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin, so the only way to receive God's promise is to believe in Jesus Christ. Until faith in Christ was shown to us as the way of becoming right with God, we were guarded by the law. 
we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could put our faith in the coming Savior. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. But now that faith in Christ has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all Christians, you are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. So it was pretty clear that what he was saying is, you become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't add works to your faith to be saved. Works will be a natural result of a true saving faith, a living faith. But they don't save you. They, in a sense, prove that you are saved. They're evidence that you are saved. So for the um, outline, I'm going to use the word faith. F-A-I-T-H, if you're taking notes. And I'll go over these. But F is for forgiveness. A is accept the gift and spirit. I, in Christ. T, tutor. H, heirs. So the letter F, forgiveness. In verse 1, Paul reminds the foolish Galatians that Jesus was crucified. Why was Jesus crucified? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that they would not perish. God wants a personal, intimate relationship with his creation, with his human beings. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know how much he loves us. He wants us to love him in return, to fellowship with him while we are living temporarily on this earth, passing through until we go home to be with him and spend eternity with him forever. But sin separated man from him. Sin caused a break in that relationship, as we know. And the Old Testament sacrifices were only a temporary solution to man's problem of sin. And only the high priest could commune, in a sense, with God once a year. And even at that, that was not <laughs> that intimate. Um, when the law was given, it only showed a standard of righteousness that man was to live by, but no human being could keep it 100% of the time. And we know that if you broke one part of the law, you've, you're considered a lawbreaker. Um, Jesus was the only one who came fully God but fully man who was able to obey the law completely. Isaiah 43, 25 the Lord says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. Whose sake does he block out our transgressions? Our sake? No, his sake. And I love it because a friend of mine, Cindy Blackamore, shared this one time um, that she was really upset with her son. And she was angry. She was mad, deservedly so. Um, and yet... She wanted to not break relationship with him. She chose to forgive him for her sake. Just like when I get upset with my son or daughter-in-law, I, I get upset. <laughs> and they deserve my being upset. 
But because I don't want to break that time with them, I don't want to ruin our relationship, I choose to forgive them. Whether they're aware of it, whether they've asked or not, I choose to forgive them because I want to continue in that relationship with them. God forgives us for his own sake because he loves us and he wants fellowship with us. It's not because we so deserve it. It's because he loves us. And for his sake, he doesn't want to remain separated from his loved ones. So God sent his son Jesus to pay for our sins so he could forgive us and have a close, personal, intimate relationship with all those who will believe, with all those who will put their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. So it is through faith in Jesus that we receive forgiveness and have been restored to a right relationship with him. So the next letter, A, we need to accept. We need to accept God's free gift and accept salvation on his terms, not our own. Verses 2 through 14, basically, we read of Paul's reasoning with the Galatians about how they receive salvation in the Holy Spirit, who is given to the believer at the time of salvation. He clarifies for them who the sons of Abraham are, those who would be counted righteous because of their faith, because of their trust in God. And he explains about the curse of the law and how Jesus redeemed us from that curse, the curse that came through disobedience and its consequence of disobedience. So not only could the Jews be saved through faith, but Gentiles could too if they put their trust in the Lord. And if they did, they would receive the blessing of Abraham. They'd receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Any and all who put their faith in Jesus will receive forgiveness when they accept God's free gift of grace. Salvation through faith, not through works, but the work of Jesus. Not the work of man, not through our work. And, you know, it, it saddens me today because a, a lot of... Some of our young adults are getting caught up in um, some of the, the churches that teach a lot of tradition and ritual, and they don't feel right about their salvation unless they are performing all these traditions and rituals. And yet, Galatians makes it so clear. It's by faith. The works that we do are a result because we love the Lord and we want to please him, not because we need to follow a set of traditions and laws. When we accept that we're a sinner and we ask Jesus to forgive us and to come into our hearts, he indwells us by his Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is first sent to be with us, to woo us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the one that convicts us of our sin. When we invite Jesus Christ to come into our life as our Savior and as our Lord, he indwells us through the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. Um, in uh, Luke 24.49, I believe it is, Jesus said that you would be endued 
with power from on high. Power from on high is God's supernatural, miracle-working power. And he said you would be endued. That means to be clothed with. It's like putting on. And it's like when you talk about in Acts 1, 1 through 8, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would the Holy Spirit would come upon you, and the word baptism means to be totally covered and immersed. You're receiving the fullness of God's miracle-working power, that supernatural power that enables us natural human beings to do supernatural things for the Lord. So when we, through faith, accept God's gift of salvation, we've been cleansed and forgiven and have received the Holy Spirit, then we are positionally in Christ. Now, my computer told me positionally was not a word, but I like the way it sounds, so I, it's my word. We are positionally in Christ, and that takes us to the I, in Christ. In verses 15 through 18 and 26 through 28, we read about our position is in Christ, and that's what I mean by positionally we are in Christ. That is our position uh, we are saved. We're a child of God. The Holy Spirit's taking up residence within us. We're, we're saved. We're, we're going to heaven. And we are in Christ. And so when we are in Christ, then um, you were able to look up in these verses some of the blessings and the benefits that are yours by being in Christ. And when we receive Christ as Savior, then we are, in a sense, being baptized, brought in covered in and part of the family of Christ, the family of God. We have put on Christ. Now, we're not talking water baptism when Paul writes about this in Galatians. The water baptism is that outward sign that when we've been saved and we're immersed in the water, it's recognizing and identifying with Christ's death and coming up out of the water cleansed new life. It's not that empowering, that overflow of the Holy Spirit where you're totally covered and immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit, but it is being in Christ, having Christ basically um, over us and we are in his body. So we are in the family of God. We have put on Jesus, we're told in scripture, put on the new nature, right? Put off the old, put on the new. And I just, the example, some examples, it's like, you might say, well, what was she wearing? Well, she was in a butterfly top and butterfly tennis shoes. Those of you at retreat know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe he was in a red car, or the dog is in the house. We are in Christ as believers. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 speaks about being raised with Christ, so we are to seek those things above, where we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2, 6. So we are raised up together with Christ. We are seated in Christ in heavenly places. That's the position. Even though we're right now living in Southern California, our feet are on the ground, but positionally, spiritually, we are in Christ. We are all one in Christ through faith. So then why the law? Well, that takes us to T, the letter T. It was our tutor, verses 19 through 25. We read about the law being a tutor, or maybe you, in your translation it was guardian. But a tutor was one who helped another one learn, or like a schoolmaster. And they would have understood it in that day to mean the servant who took the child to school to learn. 
Well, the law takes us to Jesus Christ. The law points us to our need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Well, the Lord called Abraham and his seed to be his people, and God gave him that promise of salvation that would come through his seed, and we know that was Jesus, and the promise of the Spirit and the inheritance that comes to believers through faith. The law was given to let people know that they were to live righteously until the righteous one came um, because they could never obtain righteousness by keeping the law because they couldn't ever keep the whole law, just like we never could keep the whole law. So we needed a Savior. They needed to learn through the law that they needed a Savior, just like we do today. Does knowing Jesus end the law? No, but the law doesn't save man. It never could, it never will. Faith in Jesus is needed to be saved. But the law, do we throw it out then? No, it still gives us guidelines. It still helps us to know the way we should be living, things we should do or not do, but it doesn't save us. It doesn't save us. So when we learn from the law that righteousness only comes through faith in Jesus, we put our faith in Christ, and we are become Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That takes us to the H, heirs, verse 29. An heir is one who is to inherit, one who is entitled to inherit. In Greek, the word means basically a possessor or to get. Well, what do we get? Well, we get the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And in 1 Peter, our inheritance, 1, 4, is, called, is described as being incorruptible, imperishable, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I'm not sure of everything that we are going to inherit when we uh, get our new bodies, when we're face-to-face with Christ. But we're told in Romans 8, 17, that we who are children are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So it sounds like everything that God has for Jesus is going to be ours as well when we are there. We receive so much now that we've inherited by being saved, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, that abundance of peace and joy, strength, guidance, wisdom, all those things are ours now that make up for the abundant life. And all this is through faith, F-A-I-T-H. It's not through the works of the law, but the work of Jesus on the cross. We are saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. Barb had, I had heard that the first time, and I really like that, because real faith will result in good works. And I want to close by reading a page from uh, Pastor Chuck's uh, devotional wisdom for today, and it's about Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The law God gave the children of Israel was for their benefit, for their blessing. But the law is harsh. The law carries a curse which says those who would not obey the law must die. As James pointed out, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. If you are trying to be righteous before God by keeping the law and yet you violate one point, then you come under the curse of the law. So we are guilty. We are deserving of death. Yet Jesus took our sins and died in our place. 
Not only does that mean we don't have to suffer the curse of the law, it also means that we're blessed. His sacrifice brought us the blessings of Abraham, for we read that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Through his death on the tree, Jesus brought us freedom, deliverance, forgiveness, righteousness, and hope. Oh, the blessings of God that have come upon me through Christ Jesus. How good he is and how loved we are, that he would become the curse for us, that he would endure so much shame, so much pain, that we might be freed from the curse of the law. And then he always closes with a prayer. Father, how grateful we are that you sent your son to redeem us from the curse of the law. How grateful we are for your love and mercy. And Lord, we are grateful. We're thankful, Lord, for all you've done on our behalf. Lord, for everything that we couldn't do for ourselves. You paid our debt, Lord, and we're so grateful. Lord, help us to more fully understand our salvation that comes through grace, through faith, Lord, in you, your finished work, not ours. But, Lord, we want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. We want to walk in close fellowship with you. So thank you for giving us your word and your Holy Spirit that light our path, that show us the way where to go. May we yield. May we cooperate. May we walk in obedience because we love you. And we thank you that you loved us first. Lord, I pray you bless the discussion groups as the women share with one another, Lord, the truths and the insights that you've been ministering to them through your word. And we thank you again for it. In Jesus' name, amen.